0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is that time of the week again, and like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. No, it's not Spider-Man. It's a pulsar-pumped Matt Armitage ready to do battle with the forces of physics. I can't believe you make me read this stuff.
1: (laughs) Wow, what an oversell. Uh, No, I don't think I'd want to pit myself quite against the forces of physics. Uh, That's a a cage fight that uh, I think the walrus uh, couldn't hope to best. Mm. Uh, It's a bit of a call back to last week's show. But anyway, um, yeah, we really are talking about pulses today. So... Last weekend, you challenged me to do a little thing on physics, Mm -hmm. which of course is impossible because there are no little things in physics. I mean, there are, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, particles and atoms and neutrons and stuff, you know, they're pretty tiny, but conceptually at least it's all pretty enormous and complicated and links to a hundred thousand other things. And I kind of get why you do it. You want to push me out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's also a a polite way of saying, can you stop talking about AI for five minutes? (laughs) And it gives Uh, me a rest. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And I guess it's also that challenge of taking complicated and potentially dry subjects and uh, uh, explaining them in a way that's, uh, well, at least moderately entertaining, um, which is kind of tough for someone who did no science subjects after the age of uh, 16. Really? So, no, none. So um, I'm going to compromise today. I don't think I'm up to the task of talking about physics for 30 minutes. <laughs> um, uh, and I don't think anyone is up to the job of listening to me talk about physics for 30 minutes. So uh, we'll do today as kind of a Weird science because this is a weird story, uh, and and see how long it takes to get through the uh, uh, story. So, um, as you're the uh, the provocateur, the uh, the the genus of this topic, uh, mm-hmm. would you like to introduce it for me?
0: Yeah. So this is a story that I sent you last week about U.S. scientists making the first detection of gravitational waves, or rather, the gravitational wave. Background and the implication that it might usher in for a new generation of physics—a very simple topic.
1: Absolutely. Um, so you sent me. I a think I read that
0: article fifteen times. Yeah, I was going to
1: say you. You sent me a, a Popular Mechanics article, which I've read multiple times, um, in which <laughs> they were describing this discovery as, you know, the dawn essentially of physics 2.0. Yeah. Uh, because apparently everything is episodic in the world that we live in. Um, I've just finished uh, Succession, by the way, as we're talking about episodes. I was a a bit late to that party. And I have to say, I didn't find it quite as engaging as a lot of people. I didn't didn't find the characters anywhere near as awful as some of the uh, real-life ones that uh, grace the news cycle on a regular basis.
0: I, I should point out, actually, folks who are just tuning in that Matt often talks about what he's been watching when he wants to avoid discussing something. Can
1: we get back this to the topic? Is hard. <laughs> this is hard. So um, this is the news that US astronomers based at Nanograv, the North American Nanohertz National Observatory for Gravitational Waves. Nanograv is a much better name. Uh, I agree. Have have made what they believe is the first official detection of the gravitational wave background after a 15-year-long study. So In the worlds of physics and astronomy, this is like me coming down for breakfast to find a crisp buffet laid out. I mean, this Mm. is, you know, mind blowing stuff, needle shifting. And they think it could aid us in our search for dark matter to detect and understand the formation of supermassive black holes, Mm -hmm. to get a better look at how galaxies form, maybe even fill in some of the gaps in the standard model of physics. Uh, that's the, the gravitational waves, not the buffet of crisps, by the way. Um, <laughs> if I thought that eating Monster Munch, Space Raiders and Lays could advance science, I would probably look like Jabba the Hut right now. Um, <laughs> shall we start with uh, how they found them or what it means? Because the how they found them is truly what makes this a weird science entry.
0: I, I think maybe we should probably start with what um, gravitational waves are.
1: Okay, uh, let's go with the easy stuff. Um, Popular Mechanics uh, posts a link to a YouTube channel called either Minute Physics or Minute Physics. My English isn't so good, so I don't know which. Uh, They do a a better job at describing gravitational waves than I ever could. So some of this will be paraphrased from them with a bit of free association on, on my part. So essentially, when things move, they make waves. So Mm -hmm. the the most obvious example of that is water, the waves that we see on the surface of water. But everything from the 5G towers that aren't cooking your brain to the background radiation from the universe that also isn't cooking your brain create waves that we can measure. So those waves tend to exist within a, a certain spectrum, which is how we know that 5G isn't cooking your brain any more than the Wi-Fi signals are, because the waves physically can't do that.
0: Yeah, but as a self-proclaimed manobot, you probably would say that.
1: Well, in which case my circuitry would probably be even more susceptible to those waves because I'm definitely one of the budget models. Um, my <laughs> shielding is going to be economy tape at best, for sure. So I, I mentioned waves on water. You know, we've all felt that uh, rumble or shaking of the ground when a heavy lorry passes by, for example, um, and I appreciate that many people outside the tropics may not have experienced this, but there 's that that sensation you can actually feel a particularly mm. large peal of thunder, and uh, you know the vibrations will occasionally set off car alarms. Those are all examples of waves that we all experience even if we don't see them. And what is true for small things is also true for really big things. So if a child splashing in a pool creates waves, so do enormous entities like planets and suns and black holes. Mm. And those are what we call gravitational waves. So the existence of these waves was first described by Einstein about 100 years ago, but they were only discovered, I think, in about 2015, uh, a US team at uh, LIGO, if I'm remembering correctly. Apologies if I'm not, because those waves are very faint. They exist at wavelengths that are very hard to listen to and detect.
0: Well done. Um- Unless you're lying a little bit like ChatGPT um, <laughs> when it hallucinates. Okay, why so.
1: Why didn't I think of asking ChatGPT? You
0: see, you see. So that's what I'm here for, to provocateur you. Uh, anyway, I, now you can go explain to people how they found them, because this is the really, really interesting part.
1: Yeah, so we use a lot of different equipment to look at the stars and to look past the stars. So most people tend to think of telescopes they tend to think of some version of the big cylindrical thing with a lens at the end that lets us peer into space and, you know, see the clangers waving at us from the moon uh, or a dragon making soup. Um, if you don't get that, that reference,
0: Google it. It is a yeah, thing. That, 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 that might be lost on some people, but yes.
1: Um, that's, that's, you know, certainly how we look at light waves. Uh, not Just with cameras here on Earth, but with space observatories like the John Webb. Mm. And many of those telescopes also look beyond the visible light spectrum too. They look at infrared and they look at other light spectra as well, which is why a lot of the images we see from agencies like NASA aren't actually the original images. They're Mm. color corrected or they're reimagined so that they make more sense to us. Now, then, of course, there are radio telescopes that pick up electromagnetic waves. So those are those, you know, big arrays that look like a whole load of satellites and, you know, big dishes and Mm. antenna and meshes. Uh, LIGO used laser interferometers here on Earth to pick up the gravitational waves in 2015. But the nanograv team, uses space itself as a telescope
0: now this sounds like you giving another one of those answers that's even more baffling than the question
1: i know and this is truly wild so the nanograv team uses pulsars to detect gravitational waves so i mentioned it being a 15 year long study well that's why it's so long because they're detecting disturbances in the time it takes light to travel from stars to Earth mm. because the speed of light is constant uh, so they can use it as as a measure. So what is a pulsar? It's a type of star, a type of neutron star that spins very fast and very consistently so it produces pulses of light. They send out pulses of light as they spin. Mm. Uh, Popular Mechanics pointed out that until recently you could actually keep time more accurately by a pulsar than you could with an atomic clock and as richard knows
0: oh thanks for putting me on the spot uh they took an array of 67 of these pulsars and turned them into a galaxy spanning telescope how cool is that
1: i mean that's amazing i mean it's a bit like a radio telescope but instead of having antennae you use stars Mm. um I mean, if you think about it, it's pretty simple, really. Uh, I don't know what the, the rental costs are. They're probably <laughs> waiting for universe management to get back to them on that one. How much is it to rent 67 pulsars? Um, but anyway, when gravitational waves pass between us and those pulsars, uh, it changes the the passage of that light. Um, and it's actually even more incredible than that. So gravitational waves actually compress and stretch space. So they're changing effectively the distance between us and the pulsar. So there's there's either more space or less space between us and the pulsar. So it's not so much that the light is interrupted by the waves. It's actually traveling different distances. Hmm. And it's those fluctuations in the pulses, the different distances light is traveling, that determine that a gravitational wave has passed through the area hence that 15-year time span, because you have to be able to to detect and interpret those fluctuations. Uh, And according to Nanograv, the universe is much louder than they thought, roughly twice as loud. And their findings are already being supported by uh, teams in Europe and India, uh, China and Australia, who are also studying pulsar timing. Arrays, um, which is kind of the point at which this story starts to to go above my pay
0: grade. <laughs> Don't worry, we're not we're not paying you for this. Don't worry.
1: Oh, I, I that's good to know. I guess that makes me a free. Uh, I guess that makes me a free radical. Um, again, anyway, sorry, Johanna, if you're listening for that joke. Um, it could mean that the universe contains more black holes than we predicted. Hence that additional volume, or it could mean that those black holes collide a lot more frequently than the models predict. Uh, There are also potential implications for string theory. Uh, As I said at the start, it could give us a better idea of how galaxies form and what those early moments, uh, although I guess early moments in the life of a galaxy is probably eons to us, but what those early moments actually look like. But, and there is a but, as with anything new in physics and other sciences, there are potentially other causes for the ripples that we see in pulses and this constant hum that we hear across the universe. Hmm. It could relate to a period shortly after the Big Bang that's uh, known as cosmic inflation. This is the idea that uh, a faster than light expansion of the universe caused many other universes to come into existence. So I did say this was way above my pay grade. Uh, So we're still on kind of wait and watch when it comes to gravitational wave background uh, and to see if the data coming from those additional timing arrays continues to resonate with the findings at nanograd. So um, personally, I don't think we should call it physics 2.0. That sounds a little bit tech bro to me i think we should just call it the big map
0: oh gosh um but you got me thinking you know about whether or not we could afford to pay the rental on these pulsars right and then it got me thinking about um the hitchhikers Guide to the galaxy and the vogons wanting to destroy earth had uh, to put in their you know their ma- super maybe super dimensional highway yeah that's right maybe they're destroying earth as part of their super dimensional highway because we couldn't afford to pay the bills
1: it's possible. I mean, yeah. you know, maybe maybe we'll get what's uh, what's that word re.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll come back to that after the break, and when we do come back, more about teeth and threading, teeth and threading. You're scaring me. This, of course, is Matt Splained here on BFM eighty-nine point nine.
1: Begin. Fun moments. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
0: BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Matt Plain. Uh, before we get on, Matt, do you want to tell people the, the word that you forgot just before the break? It
1: was repossessed.
0: Yeah, no, nothing too difficult, was it? No, no. Neither of us could get it. Anyway, no brain. No brain. Now, with the, uh, the physics out of the way earlier, um, I, I guess we're at that point now where we, we're going to have to talk about Threads.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, as regular listeners know, we generally tape this show the day before. So sorry to go all uh, Wizard of Oz on you and pull back the curtain. Um, so, yeah. So Threads launched uh, a few hours before we taped this show, which explains why I was still in bed at 10 a.m. on a weekday, because I was doing research. Um, Yeah, exactly. You can believe what you want. So um, what is Threads? Well, as we were talking about last week, Project 92, it's Meta's answer to Twitter. Mm. Uh, Incidentally, there's a a nice piece on The Verge with uh, Instagram head Adam Mosseri talking about why they decided to do battle with Twitter right now. Uh, So the platform, as we talked about last week, is based around an open source protocol known as ActivityPub. I'm not going to go back over all of that detail right now. You can just go and check out last week's episode on the Fediverse and the decentralized social media landscape. will this platform be open well when i logged on this morning the message the app gave me was something along the lines of meta will make this content available across the fediverse at some point so hopefully hmm. yes but we'll see so i've got my eyes on you mr zook
0: what do you think of the um, the user interface so far
1: Oh, what do you think of the user interface so far?
0: That's a cheat. Um, it's okay. I, I like that it, right now it, it feels a bit like a beta product. It's clean. Uh, it's refreshing. I, I don't see any ads. Um, I, I don't see unnecessary content that's been forced down my throat. So far, so good. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It's well, very simple.
1: Yeah. One of the comments that, that I saw as well that um, I kind of agree with is that actually, photos look better on threads they than do. they do on instagram and you can um,
0: post panoramic photos on yeah, there and it, it shows it, you the whole thing
1: exactly um and the the kind of scrolling mechanism is a lot nicer and a lot neater but as you said uh it's basic there's no um direct access to gifs there's no hashtags you can't edit your posts uh there's no translations which yeah. is always useful um in the stew of languages that is malaysia so hopefully those are all uh, features that we'll see uh, the feed management is definitely a little bit lacking i mean you mm-hmm. just seem to see a lot of random posts in the, in your feed and if you choose to import your insta contacts um which uh richard i think has chosen not to do um you get uh, some of your pre-follows add automatically as they join but some you seem to have to add manually so not just people who've made their accounts uh private so mm. um as i said that the feed is still a bit annoying um you know it, it's th- at this new stage so rather than random stuff i want to actually see what the people I follow or what my friends actually think of the platform, are they excited to, to be there? So I don't want those posts kind of uh, hidden. Um, there are ways to clean up the feed. You can toggle the notifications in your account settings, but uh, it does seem to have kind of limited effect. But hopefully uh, that will be tamed quickly. And also uh, it's also, it's only available on the app at the moment. You can't access from a browser or, or desktop. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it crashed on me once or twice, but again. Oh, did it? Yeah, yeah, but that's bound to happen. Uh, I think once I opened it and the feed was just completely empty once it crashed on me. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's basically, it's like an early mod of Twitter. It handles links we're, uh, well. There's no particular learning curve. It's easy to use. It's quite easy to find people. It's, you know, like Twitter, only not awful. Um have you found it easier to chat with people that you actually like?
0: Yeah, I, I guess I have. It just makes things... Because apart it's from so, me. Well, apart from me, I, I think I've interacted with you more than anybody else. Um, but because it's so new and so clean right now, and it's not been muddled up with all of these things that we don't necessarily need, it makes it simple to see your notifications. You can see who's posted. And yeah, as I'm scrolling through, and it seems to be, I mean, it, it probably isn't, but What I've noticed is my feed seems to be uh, chronological, you know, so it's fairly easy to scroll through and see posts that I've missed. And it doesn't get updated by the thousands for me having to scroll through all the ones that I may have missed.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the better things about Facebook and something I think I hope we'll see more of in threads as well. You know, with Facebook, you do have a bit more control over whose posts you see and how you actually see those posts, Um, although the chronological thing gets lost a bit with facebook i've got so many six day old posts in my feed i've got no idea um but i do hope they carry over some of that granularity into to threads as well um and there is there's a lot about it to like because it has the feel of the early days of twitter Mm -hmm. but that could be due to the number of the people on the platform so threads has been growing exponentially at least in the first few hours as people in different time zones have woken up to start their thursday so it's a bit like seeing most social media development in a time lapse Mm -hmm. you know one of my favorite social media apps and something that threads reminds me of a little was a a service called path and it's kind of like watching two years of evolution of path in two hours on threads Mm. so it's quite fascinating from that kind of anthropological and, uh, behavioral perspective.
0: I did notice that you posted, you were a bit of a threads expert.
1: Well, yeah, I've been on it all morning.
0: I mean, you were there 11 minutes before me.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the speed that threads is going, that's a lifetime. Uh, so you know, that, that means I'm one of the most qualified people to help manage an account on threads. So reach out to me. I accept all major currencies. Um, but seriously, though, I think it's quite honored, an audacious move by Meta. So Blue Sky has been around for six months and it's still in invite only beta mode. Um, Mastodon yeah. is a kind of gentle hang, um, but it's still a bit baffling. I mean, going back to Blue Sky, I think they've got something around 100 100- thousand users already. And that's how we're used to seeing tech launch in these stages. You know, public betas that roll, they sort of grow a pace so that the infrastructure isn't overwhelmed by millions of people all joining in at once. Mm -hmm. You know, with threads, they've opened to everyone in a hundred countries all at once. Uh, I think I was something like the 2.2 2.2 millionth person to join and that was on the morning of the launch yeah, yeah. before uh, a lot of countries have even made it to thursday so that demonstrates a lot of confidence in your product in your back end and it suggests that meta really is going for the jugular in this battle with twitter um, especially as this comes just after the news that, that Twitter is limiting how many posts its users can see for uh, whatever reasons. You can check out last Tuesday's BizBytes with uh, uh, me and Richard and Roshan for, for more on that one. But at a time when Twitter is limiting how many posts you can see, <coughs> Threads launches essentially this all-you-can-eat, crisp buffet um and and it's kind of huge but it feels a lot more villagey at the same time yeah um but i found one of the points that you made about not being able to delete your threads account quite interesting
0: yeah um ironically on a thread that i saw on twitter um funnily enough because i was kind of going backwards and forwards to see what the mass migration stroke exodus was going to be like from twitter to threads and um a, a popular tech blogger had had kind of stumbled upon this fact so you can essentially deactivate your your threads account um, but if you delete the threads account it also deletes your instagram account
1: yeah so that would seem to suggest that the push for numbers here is really aggressive so mm. as i mentioned on on biz bites on tuesday twitter isn't even in the top 10 of social media apps uh, snap which we often Laugh at for being so much a part of yesterday. Has something like six hundred million monthly users Mm. versus somewhere in the region of three to four hundred million for Twitter. Uh, Instagram has a smidge over a billion, I think. Facebook's up there at about three. Uh, These figures are all of uh, as of about January twenty twenty three. By the way, Uh, so Threads has the potential to reach as many users as Twitter in a very short space of time. And as you were saying about making those accounts, you know, deactivating them rather than deleting them, even if those users don't remain active for very long, that's really powerful Mm -hmm. PR. Mm -hmm. And it's the kind of uh, institutional trolling that I imagine Mm -hmm. will uh, infuriate a certain someone
0: yeah mentioning no names uh we've not mentioned him this week um but please remember that not all of these questions are my own matt what about the pickles
1: well i'm glad i made you ask me about the pickles <laughs> so um twitter twitter has tweets now, yes. a lot of the early conversations that I saw were about what to call posts on on threads, because it's kind of boring to have the service called threads and then call the posts threads as well, and and the reposts rethreads. So my idea is to call them pickles, because Wait, wouldn't
0: wouldn't multiple threads together be called a knit?
1: But you, well, I mean you're in a you're in a sewing bee above my pay grade there. Um, <laughs> no my idea is to call them pickles because all
0: right okay it's just
1: fun we can pickle each other um and you know it doesn't have to be pickling that we end up with although the idea of calling reposts gherkins is really amusing i like that yeah exactly so thanks to Jinmei for suggesting that one but whatever we end up calling it i think it should be silly and Mm. I actually have what I think anyway is a fairly good reason for that because it helps to maintain the tone that this is a fun place to be. Mm -hmm. And maybe that will help to sideline the trolls and the edgelords because, you know, if somebody starts picking a fight with you and gets all angry, all you have to say to them is, and it's usually a hymn, is, you know, stop getting in such a pickle and add a nice crying face emoji. (laughs) You know, and this is where I put my boring head on, but what we call things matters. Terminology is important. And with Threads, we've got the ability to set the tone now. So hit me up if you want to join the pickle posse, uh, or even better, thread Mark Zuckerberg or pickle him uh, and invite him to join as well. Um, so come and find me on Threads. I'm at CultureMat.
0: Have you run out of thread?
1: I made Richard do that joke, by the way. Uh, again, sorry, Johanna. Um, yes, I think the the weaver or the knitter has left the building. Um, although it's going to be interesting to see how it will develop by Friday morning when this goes out. Mm. Uh, but anyway, should we end today with uh, some more uh, traditional weird science fair? Sure, so, sure. Yeah. What would you prefer, teeth or hands?
0: Oh, um, I... I- Tough Hands. Hands. Most definitely hands.
1: (laughs) Okay, hands it is. So I'll wrap up with a couple of quick stories from IFL Science. Uh, It seems that uh, the smell of your hands is a very good indicator of what sex you are. Now, don't worry, I'm not going anywhere unsavoury with this. So researchers uh, from Florida International University were working on new ways to identify suspects at crime. So this is a forensic science story.
0: Oh, so, okay.
1: Yeah, normally we, we, you know, normally use methods like fingerprinting, DNA, but those clues aren't always present. However, we do leave our scent behind us. So the Florida team was wondering if there was a way to detect and use that information, which they did by analyzing the volatile scent compounds of the hands of 30 guys and 30 women who they had told to uh, not wash their hands for an hour before the test. Um, that's gross, but, you know, that's science for you. Uh, they then performed uh, a statistical analysis on the samples. Uh, and obviously this is still a very small uh, data pool. But the analysis predicted, correctly predicted the sex of the donor in 58 out of the 60 samples, which is Crazy, that's like 98.6% or
0: something. Is this a big breakthrough then? I mean, put it into perspective for me a little bit.
1: Well, obviously, fingerprints and DNA are great. Video footage is good as well. Um, But this isn't the first advance that we've made with scent. Um, Scent can also give indications of a person's age, and it Mm. can also give indications of their race and, and their ethnic group. So for forensic science, this can help to create that picture of a suspect. Even when there's no other physical evidence, you still have this ability to narrow down age, ethnic group and sex, which Combined with circumstantial evidence, could help to create new leads in uh, robbery and assault cases. For for example, so it's actually a really really cool step forward, mm. and best of all, it leaves us with teeth.
0: Oh, this this is the one I'm afraid of.
1: Well, it, it it's actually really cool. So. Kids grow new teeth, right? So they lose their baby uh, teeth and then the adult ones grow in. But Mm. once you've got those adult teeth, you've got to try and take care of them for the next, you know, 50 to 80 years. And that is a major battle for a lot of us. You know, even if you take really good care of them, you avoid sugar and sweets and all of these other things, there's still a lot of wear and tear on your teeth, especially if you're a a sleep grinder like me. Uh, And- repairing the damage to your teeth can cost a fortune, you know, bridges and crowns and implants and dentures, all of this just to keep us smiling and chewing. So back in 2021, a team from Kyoto University's School of Medicine published a study that found a protein called USAG1 that limits the growth of teeth in mice. So by switching off the protein, they were able to trigger the growth of new teeth huh. so yeah so in subsequent trials um different species as well um and uh with the looking at kind of human cells as well um they are now planning clinical trials set to start in 2024 with humans To see if they can do the same thing with people to regrow lost teeth. Uh, Incidentally, I'm I'm thinking about doing an episode on updates with uh, CRISPR technology in the the next few weeks because there's been a lot of movement in this kind of gene editing and modification stuff. So I'm not sure whether the Kyoto team thinks that this is primarily a gene editing solution. Hmm. Uh, The piece I read in IFL Science seems to point at them wanting to develop a a drug therapy for this. But imagine that, swallowing some pills and regrowing your lost teeth. You know, if uh, replacing ones that are starting to chip or get fragile, or even for cosmetic dentistry, you know, rather than using expensive braces and uh, alignment systems, just removing those misshapen or misaligned teeth and growing new ones that can be guided into the right position you know how cool would that be to regrow your own teeth i mean it's it's still a long way from being a market ready product um but if the trials next year go well it could be a reality we see in the next decade or so and honestly i mean for me new teeth wins this episode it's bigger than threads it's bigger than Gravitational waves bring on the teeth.
0: See, and there's now an entire wave of dentists staring frantically at their watches, going, "How long have we got?" You
1: well, know. I mean, you'd still, you'd still get this medication from the dentist, so mm. it would just be something else they can offer you.
0: Great stuff. Good show today, Matt, apart, apart from the teeth. You, you frightened the heck out of me there. Uh, thank you again, of course. Um, if you want to follow Matt and doing whatever he's doing, oh, I have to do an entirely new introduction now. Um, you can follow him on all of his socials, including watching him pickle over on Threads. He's at Culture Matt over at Threads. And of course, if you want to follow him on his uh, uh, Substack and subscribe to his newsletter, it's culturepop.substack.com, of course. And if you missed any part of this show, download the podcast wherever you normally get it from. We recommend that BFM app. It's available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. This has been Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.